Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. It's no secret that trust is a vital element of relationships. The question is, how do you build trust with colleagues, customers, and work teams? How can you be a better trustworthy leader to gain a sustainable, competitive business advantage? My guest, Charles Green, has studied and taught the science of becoming a trusted advisor for the last decade. He's created a trust equation, which includes four principles, credibility, reliability, intimacy, and self-orientation. We talk about these topics and actionable tactics from his books and seminars so that you can show up as your best authentic self and achieve real success today and in the future. Please subscribe to my Doing CX Right podcast on Spotify, Apple, or other favorite channels and leave me a review as your opinion matters a lot. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, Charles Green. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. I am so sincerely honored to have you on my show. And I'll get into the why after. But first, please introduce yourself. Tell the audience who you are. What do you do? Okay. I'm here mainly with you today because I co-wrote a book called The Trusted Advisor about 20 years ago. We just came out with a 20th anniversary edition of that book last year. I wrote a couple other books following up on that, founded a company called Trusted Advisor Associates, and that became a second career for me, focusing on trust-based relationships, mostly with professional services firms, clients, and, and also trust-based selling for, uh, for largely B2B businesses. Mm. Why trust? Have you made that your main theme and, and livelihood? Well, I, I kind of stumbled into it. It wasn't like something planned, although in the rearview mirror, it all makes a lot of sense. But um, I mean, trust is, it's, I think, kind of accessible to everybody. We all have a sense of what it means. We all have an intuitive sense that is probably pretty important. And it also turns out to be easily misunderstood and kind of hard to pin down like jello. And I just got fascinated with, well, what is this stuff really and how does it work? And, you know, one thing led to another and, you know, one book and then a couple more and, you know, clients. And uh, it, it's just an interesting subject. And I happen to be one of the early ones into it. What is one fun fact people might not know about you? <laughs> uh, I'll give you two. Um, okay. uh, when I was in college in New York City at Columbia, I drove a New York City taxi part time. So I have some combat experience, if you will. Yes. Um, and I used to be a half-decent pedal steel guitar player. For people that don't know what pedal steel is, it's that twangy-wangy sound you hear in country music. Mm. And um, I started out as a guitar player, but, you know, picked that one up along the way. So there's there's two. I love that. And I bet you when you were a taxi driver, you had no clue there'd be Uber in the future. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. Didn't see that coming. No, neither did I. So let's talk about trust because it is fundamentally the most important component of relationships. And you developed a formula 
which I have spent my holiday really studying and learning. <laughs> what is this I'm formula? Impressed. Well, thank you. It it is uh, something that's used at my workplace, and I really felt I want to walk into the new year, walk into work, I should say, enjoying the new year with trust at the forefront and really understanding the equation that you developed. So please explain, what is that? Well, let me context it first. It, it, it refers to one half of a trust relationship. If you think about it, this is just common sense. A trust relationship, and like you said, it is a relationship between two parties. One party takes a risk on the other one, and the other one then proves to be either trustworthy or not. It's the trustworthy part that the trust equation refers to, the, the components of trustworthiness. So, you know, how do you know if somebody's trustworthy? What does that even mean? And the equation, very simple, it's C plus R plus I over S. And those letters stand for credibility plus reliability plus intimacy, all divided by self-orientation. The C and R are pretty self-evident. Credibility is do you have expertise? Do you know what you're talking about? Have you got credentials? You know, can you spell correctly? That kind of thing. Reliability is also pretty evident. Track record. Do you do what you said you do? Do you have a record of showing it? The other two components are a little bit less obvious. Intimacy is an unusual word in the business environment. It basically means, do people feel safe and secure talking to you? Like, is it a, if you share some, if they share something with you, are you going to abuse their trust? Are you going to blab it around? Are you going to misinterpret it? Or do they feel like I said, safe and secure sharing with you. So those three are in the numerator. Those are positive virtues. The denominator factor goes the other way. That's self-orientation, meaning the more self-oriented you are, the less trustworthy you are. And the more other-oriented you are, the more trustworthy you are. And there, there are two forms of self-orientation. One of them is selfishness, which is not really that much of an issue for the people that you and I deal with. Uh, there are not that many people that make it that far in business, you know, being truly selfish. The Bernie Madoff got caught, okay? But the more common form of high self-orientation is just neurotic self-obsession, worrying all the time, how am I doing? Is she going to like me? Are they paying attention? How come everybody's looking at me? How come nobody's looking at me? It's just a thousand forms of, you know, the, the, the running the hamster wheels in the head that keep us from being connected to the person in front of us or on the other end of the screen. So credible, reliable, intimate, those are all positive values, highly self-oriented, that's a negative, that's the trust equation, it's how you become, it's how you express what trustworthiness means. Mm -hmm. One of the things that stands out, you said about doing what you said you do, that's huge in customer experience. Yes. Right, so customers, you have to deliver on the promise, or they will absolutely go somewhere else. Well, uh, yes, I, I, I think that may be a little overstated. I mean, the truth is, if you screw up and if you manage to recover, then the strength that you have is potentially stronger mm -hmm. than what you had in the first place, right? And it's possible to recover. Uh, and if you have a strong trust-based you know, relationship already, people tend to forgive you the occasional mistake. They'll say, that's not like you. Why'd you do that? You know, don't do that again. Why, why, why? How did that happen? And, you know, we'll let you go this time. So, yes, but. You're right. That's such a great point because people are forgiving. We are humans. We make mistakes. What a perfect example where trust can earn you back 
the relationship, if the trust right. isn't there, they do leave. But if you do have a solid foundation, then yes, people are more forgiving. I, I love that you said that. Yeah. And that just to stay on the reliability track record thing for a second, there's a lot of myths around trust. And maybe the biggest one is the, the one that goes like trust takes a long time to build and only a moment to destroy. I mean, you've heard variations of that. Actually, trust with, with one exception, which is this reliability thing we're talking about, it doesn't take a long time to build. It usually happens in moments, moments of connection, moments that matter, call it what you want. And it doesn't necessarily take a moment to destroy. It depends on how strong the trust was to begin with. If, if it wasn't very strong, then yeah, a moment will blow it up. But if it was strong, then it takes a lot more than that. Anyway, so that's, and, and reliability is the one exception. It does take time because it takes repeated experiences for people to develop this sense that, yeah, you have a track record. Yeah, I can trust you. So it's true in that regard. I want to bring up one topic around employee experiences and leadership, and that is recognition. People need to be recognized. It keeps them motivated. How do you do it authentically and to be perceived authentically? Right. Uh, Well, A, I think you're right. I think it is an important part of, uh, you know, human interactions to, to, recognize people for substantive accomplishments. I mean, society is filled with awards, ceremonies, you know, mm-hmm. the Oscars, et cetera. And, and uh, there's all kinds of recognition programs for a reason, because we're motivated by that. Uh, so how to make it authentic is for, to make sure it's authentic. Do not, you know, if it's just mere flattery for the sake of making people feel good and feel like they owe you something, that's going to come across as insincere right away. Right. So you need to have some kind of criterion, uh, either explicit or, or implicit, but hopefully explicit, for why you're praising them and why people have met some kind of, you know, a hurdle or, or measure of, of worthiness of being honored or, or respected in this way, and and then do it. So I, I think ultimately that's a little bit subjective, but the quick answer is you make it authentic by making sure it is authentic. Don't praise people for things that are not fully praiseworthy. Do praise them for things that really are. There's an analog here to, you know, uh, take another customer experience example. When you phone up a, a cable company or a phone company and you say, my cable's out, my phone's not working, and, and, the, and the worker says, oh, I do apologize for that. No, what, you didn't do anything. Why are you apologizing to me? You're some lowly customer service worker. That's, a, that's hollow. It's vague. That's a wrong time to have an apology. And similarly, don't praise people or give them awards or, or respect or for things that's not fully within their control. Don't have awards just to make up awards to make people feel good. That's phony. Uh, that's just, you know, no calories, uh, uh, zero calorie uh, or a multiple count, whatever the analogy is for food I'm looking for here. <laughs> so anyway, how do you make it authentic? Make sure it's real, legitimate, deserved. I also believe that public recognition and private recognition, I believe they're both very valuable. What are your thoughts on that? Interesting. I haven't thought much about that. Yeah, they are both valuable and they are different. And I think most people probably value public recognition more because part of recognition is that other people recognize it. That's why we make spectacles out of, uh, you know, award ceremonies and so forth. It's great to know from your boss or your friend that they think you're the best at whatever. I mean, that's lovely. Thank you. 
But to have that said in front of a hundred other people and have them all nod their heads, wow. I mean, that's, you know, quantitatively, if not qualitatively, bigger. So they're both important. And I think if anyone is more important, it's probably public recognition. Mm. Although you might say to build intimacy is really knowing whether people like public or private and then doing what they really enjoy, that probably builds the trust too. Yes, you're 100% right. And if somebody frankly prefers private recognition and you're able to recognize that and, and respond appropriately, that goes a long way. You're right. I agree with you. And as a leader, you need to know what yeah. your people prefer. That's true. Yeah. I think the, um, you know, the, the, the broadest definition of a leader is um, um, someone who views their primary job as, to, as the personal and professional development of their employees, both mm. personal and professional. Because if, if somebody grows both personally and professionally, A, they're going to be very grateful and very loyal because, I mean, you know, that's what we're all looking for. And uh, you are going to get a lot of credit for that as the leader. The company is going to get a lot of benefit out of that because, you know, why leave a place that, that is helping you grow personally and professionally? So, uh, and, and way too many tech companies, especially these days, don't view that as the job of a manager or a leader. They view it as, you know, they manage the metrics like, you know, low turnover or, or customer acquisition numbers. But uh, the real goal is help develop your people. Let's talk about intimacy. That one yeah. is fascinating to me because it's not a word that's used very often in a professional workplace. Talk about that. What does intimacy really mean in, in professionally? Well, um, you're right to raise it because one of the uh, we developed quite a database of uh, over 70,000 people who took a 20-question test. And the biggest finding, well, the second biggest finding uh, that came out of it was that the most powerful factor out of those four, if you run a regression analysis, turns out to be the intimacy factor, which is counter to what most of us would expect. Uh, the people that I deal with, like accountants and lawyers and consultants, they all figure, well, obviously, credibility and reliability, those are the important ones. No, it's actually intimacy. Intimacy, as I said, is, you know, basically, do I feel comfortable opening up and sharing with you? It gets into things like empathy, you know, recognizing the other person, validating them for who they are. It, and it, it's um, unlike things like credible and reliable, which we can use standard business metrics for, that one's very hard. It's uh, because it's expressed in the raise of an eyebrow or the tone of your voice or the way you respond quickly or not quickly to a question. These are, you know, momentary flashes of emotional connection between people. So it turns out to be very hard to manage by some of the traditional stuff that most of us think about in business. It's, you know, a database is not going to help you. You know, best practices doesn't help you. Role modeling helps you, watching other people do it, feeling other people behave in that way, it teaches us, I think. But it, it's really kind of higher order interpersonal connection. Do, do, do you feel comfortable with this person after a while, having a, a deep conversation with you, sharing sharing things with you you might not share with somebody else? And, and that's what intimacy is about. And you're right, it's an unusual word in business because we don't, I don't know of any courses in business school that are taught on this, but they should be. 
but it's you know not academically acceptable because you can't crank up data about it. You can't do studies on it in in the traditional sense. Anyway, that's a bit about intimacy, and it's powerful. It is powerful. Now I want to take it a step further. So Simon Sinek, one of my favorites, talks about leaders eat last. Right. And that probably is very correlated to building intimacy with the team. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and um, even, I mean, that, that you could also argue that that particular example gets into the low self-orientation, you know, putting others over oneself. It kind of does double duty there. I think the, the intimacy more than anything is the ability to sort of validate the other person and to say, I get you. I know who you are. I understand who you are. I may or may not agree with you. That's not the point. But the point is, yeah, I get who you are. I know what you're going through. And to have that be believably felt by the other person is particularly challenging. And I would guess in the CX field that you deal with, particularly challenging in a time when we're scaling and digitizing everything, because that doesn't digitize very well. It's scalable, but not in the usual way. Yes. And that, you know, the one of my things in, in trust is that, you know, in our rush to get everything scaled, digitized, et cetera, we're losing track of the basic skills of human interconnection. And I would suspect you would agree that uh, you can't have really good customer relationships if they're impersonal. It just doesn't compute. And yet so much of the management technology that we're playing with these days is built around essentially the impersonal component. I think also what's important is that the whole notion of psychological safety. Yes. And I think so much in the workplace, we focus on physical safety. Right. But psychological safety seems like it's something I talk a lot about and I really care to, as a leader, to create a safe environment. And I didn't know until really talking to you and, and learning your work that that is part of intimacy. Yeah, very much so. And by the way, you're probably aware Google did this study five or six years ago. You know, the question was, what's the essence of a successful team? And the answer was psychological safety. Mm. Now, just so that nobody thinks listening to you and me that we're normalizing being a victim and everybody's wussy and needs protection. That's not what this is about. This is about people feeling comfortable to be completely authentically themselves and an environment that encourages that kind of thing, which, you know, encourages intimacy and encourages the people be completely, you know, who they are. Mm -hmm. So the fact that leaders eat last, but also leaders need to eat. Right. So where does the trust equation come in? to be successful as a leader, whereby you're really giving to your people, but that also someone else has your back too. Right. Well, I think it's a, it's a natural reciprocation that comes about from an honest, authentic relationship. I mean, the other metaphor to bring in here would be the, you know, when the, the, the oxygen mask drops down, it always says, you know, put your mask on first before you put your kids on because you can't help your kids if you're passed out. So analogously, you know, you have to eat too. And I think if you have a good relationship between yeah. a manager and employee or whatever, each understands, of course, the other one needs to eat. Of course, the other one needs oxygen. And you're going to have to figure out how to alternate or who goes first or whatever. 
And, uh, you know, and don't look at it transactionally. It's a relationship over time. So sometimes I owe you a dinner. Sometimes you owe me a dinner. Or sometimes it's obvious you need the oxygen right now, not me. Other times, you know what? No, you need it or I need it. And the ability to be clear and distinct about that and transparent about that kind of conversation is what is what makes it. Yeah. In the course, you had an example. There were a series of quizzes, very good examples. And one of them was about you're going to a client and you had an idea. Let's say I'll use myself as an example. I had an idea. I present it to the client. It wasn't really thought of much. The next week, I go back out to the client with a colleague. The colleague says the same idea. Right. And now the client really likes it. What do you do? Do you bring it up and say it was your idea in the first place? Do you just smile and be happy that the client likes the idea? Do you, there were a couple of series of, of options and clearly yeah. the right one is just setting back and, and le- allowing your colleague to, in essence, take credit for a great yeah. idea. But at the end of the day, who cares? It's the client that liked it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much right. And if you want to project forward, if that relationship continues to develop, then at some point, it's possible to have a conversation along the lines of, by the way, you know, that idea, I don't know if you recall, but I raised it in the first meeting. But it's not something you want to get into right away. The, the right answer is, as you said, put the needs of the client first. Who cares? Who gets credit for it? You know, work the idea, make sure it works for the client, and, and forget about the rest. The rest is mostly ego. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word. Where does ego come in <laughs> to the trust equation or is it completely out? No, it's not completely out. It's, uh, you know, the way we're using the word ego right now, it's a negative thing. Don't let your ego get in the way, you know, deflate your ego, et cetera. And, and that's certainly true. On the other hand, I don't think you could or should be completely egoless, completely selfless because you're just taking, you know, one player out of the equation. You have needs, you have opinions, you have points of view, you have value. And sometimes it is useful to, you know, express yourself forcefully, to use your own powers in pursuit of a greater good. So this is not about, you know, um, self-abnegation uh, or, or you know, cutting yourself down. It's, it's not about, you know, massive humility. It's about keeping things in balance and knowing, you know, when and where is the right time. I mean, it's a good thing not to worry too much about oneself. That That's the meaning of low self-orientation. If you're always obsessively worried about yourself, you cannot be curious. You can't be those two things at the same time. And if you can't be curious, you can't be, you know, forming a good relationship with a customer. Mm. Yes. Well, going back to the example before where the originator of the idea. Right doesn't get the, quote, credit, it come, you know, the, the colleague does. I think also a, a nice way to build credibility, trust, and even intimacy is actually not the leader who came up with the idea to say, this was my idea. It's right. actually the colleague. Oh, yeah. If they say, I'm so glad you like this idea, by the way, it came from so-and-so. Sure. 
that's actually a really great way to build that trust. And then that leader or that colleague, they're, they're going to want to give more support because you feel like you were included and in, 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 in part of a problem and solution. Yeah, it's, it's a way of, uh, you know, giving credit to another person, especially when it's credit due, is an act of generosity. It means that your self-orientation is low enough that you can be generous towards other people. And we look at that and we say, wow, what a, what a decent stand-up thing to say. That's, you know, thank you. That was good of you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it's appreciated by the person, you know, who, who had the idea originally. But, but I think the, the general point is you can't make people do that. It's hard to order people to do it. It's hard to train people to do it. What you can do is act that way yourself and hope it rubs off on other people, a.k.a. role modeling, which, again, is, is how I think you scale these kinds of traits. And maybe empathy training. Sure. Yeah, that, yeah. There, that can be done to some extent. Yeah. Anybody can take it. You get like a two-page output about your strengths and weaknesses and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I took it in, uh, in addition to the course. And what would you say for people who take it? There's What are actions they can do? In other words, if they are lower, they, they need more strengths in credibility or reliability or intimacy. Can you go a little bit into those three? What are some actions? Admit you don't know when you don't know something. If somebody says, you know, what's the answer to so-and-so? And if you go, well, I think it's this, or I think it's that, I can get it for you. That's not a very credibility enhancing response. But if you're willing to say, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look that one up. What else do you want to know? The ability to admit that there are limits to your knowledge is you know, paradoxically, very credibility enhancing. Like, who's going to doubt you on that one? Nobody. <laughs> so there's one. Uh, ways to enhance your reliability, make a lot of promises and keep every one of them. And they don't have to be big promises. They're like, this meeting is going to end at 8 a.m., you know, or, you know, 6 p.m., whatever. And then end it, not at 5.59, but at 6. You know the old bit about the under-promise and over-deliver? That's just two lies in a row. Under-promising is a conscious, intentional lie. Over-delivering is a conscious, intentional lie. So you're far better off doing exactly what you said you would do. And if you need to change things, and change them and say, I need to change things and explain to them why. So there's a big one for reliability. Intimacy, I, I think a good one is simply, you know, there's so much uh, blind interaction with people, whether it's customer acquisition in an email or a phone call. How long does it take to go look at somebody's LinkedIn page, notice they live in Minneapolis, and say, wow, did you get caught in that snowstorm last week? That immediately says, I paid attention to you. This is not a form letter. I recognize something about you. You did this with me, Stacey. It was very interesting. You reflected in your first email to me. You indicated that you had actually read something that we'd written. And let me tell you, that set you apart from about nine out of ten other people who don't bother to do that. They send out some form letter, and you can tell. So, you know, there's there's one thing for intimacy. The other one, um, even easier, I think, is, is simply um, an emotional version of paraphrasing, which, which by other names would be called empathy. And it sounds like something like, gee, it sounds like you're a little upset by that. Am I right? And, in other words, you're summarizing what you're picking up. And guess what? Even people who are like lawyers and consultants and stuff, uh, I find, have remarkably good emotional intelligence. They just had it choked out of them in second grade. 
And we, we've been overeducated to the point not to believe in our instincts. But I find in the coursework I do, people's instincts are fantastic. So have the courage to say something like, gee, you look a little nervous. You're, you're probably going to be right. And the other person is going to say, well, now that you mention it, yeah, maybe I am a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's a few ways to increase the three of the variables anyway. I love that. As well as now talk about the denominator. Yeah. Well, self-orientation, I think, is, is in some ways the hardest one. It, it kind of goes along with emotional maturity. I mean, getting old helps. It, interesting, we noticed that trust coaches' scores go up with age. In fact, that was the single mm. biggest factor or, or uh, finding in the study we did, that the scores get up, the, go up the older you get. And I think it's, it's not just experience. It, it's that there's a little bit of wisdom and, you know, our hormones chill out as we get older and so forth. And, and we become, it's easier for us to think about other people and where they're coming from and what their perspective is. So, you know, a simple way to, is just ask people what their opinion is. You're in the middle of some argument or discussion or a, dis, a discussion that's really an argument disguised as a discussion. And just remember every once in a while to say, well, what's your thought on this? What are you, you know, where are you coming from? What's behind that for you? Make it a genuine question inquiring into, I'm interested in understanding where you're coming from on this. And if you can feel that right, you'll say it right. It'll come up and, and the other person will feel, you know, graced, if you will, because you're paying attention to them. Mm. So, and again, that I find the hardest one to teach and the hardest one to come up with, um, you know, ways to get people better at it. But it's, it's kind of getting over yourself, you know, mm-hmm. you're not all that... There's a, a little video blog post I did a long time ago called uh, Nobody Gives a Damn About You and You Should Be Glad of It, meaning um, oh, there's an old Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon with Charlie Brown standing off in a corner and two girls talking away. And he goes up to them and he says, you two girls were talking about me, weren't you? And they say, no, we weren't. And he goes back to his corner and then comes back after a while and says, how come you girls never talk about me? So both sides, you know, we're worried that people are not talking about us or worried that people are talking about us. The truth is they're generally not talking about you. They're worried about their own stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn that lesson and help people by, you know, fine, I'll pay attention to you. Well, we all love being paid attention to. It, It works fantastically. And all we have to do to get better at that is stop worrying about ourselves. Mm. So there's a little bit on self-orientation. Great example. What about social media? Much of what we've been talking about here is this direct interaction and talking to people. But social media clearly is a blessing and a curse. Yep. It's a great way to stay connected to people that you don't talk to all the time. And we get to share authentically about something that's helpful while others will share that they had a slice of pizza for dinner last night. (laughs) Who cares? But how does the trust factor and formula apply to social media? Because we really have a chance to share. It's a great platform to inspire people if it's received right. So how do you do that? Well, it's a great question, obviously. I think social media and on the management side or, or, or marketing side, the whole digitization thing. Those are two big issues that come about through, you know, the, the world that we live in of everything in the cloud and, and massively scalable and so forth. Let's, let's take the social media. I don't think, I mean, 
it, even in, in this day and age of, of Twitter and TikTok and Zoom and everything, it is very possible to make authentic connection through these different media. It's not impossible at all. The barriers are mostly self-imposed. We, we think that the purpose of Facebook is to put our best face forward. So we put out stuff that makes everybody feel bad because they're not that good. And it also makes them not believe us because they don't think you're that good. So don't do that. Be authentic. You know, for every little piece of, I mean, hey, if you're going to put out that you're eating pizza, ask yourself, who gives a damn? First of all, answer not very many people. And second of all, just, you know, how often do you need to put that kind of thing out? What are you trying to say to people? How many people are that interested in your culinary habits? Anyway, on Zoom, for example, I find, you know, there was this uh, phase we went through for getting virtual backgrounds. Everybody, you know, put the Golden Gate Bridge behind you. Suddenly you're cool. No, they, they got away from that because they were afraid of the dog walking in the room or the cat walking on the keyboard or the baby yelling. Hey, the cats, the dogs, the babies, those are real. Leave them in. You know, get a real background. Stop trying to artificialize everything. Make it real. And if you're one of those people who's a lurker and doesn't like putting your face on camera, get over yourself. Get on camera. You know, and if you want to drink coffee while you're having your Zoom call, fine. Drink your coffee. You know, we want to see you. And by you removing yourself because you think it's, I don't know what, you know, it, it's, again, get over yourself. And you're, you're cutting yourself off at the knees by not being genuinely out there. I think, you know, in things like Twitter or LinkedIn even, um, you, can, you can communicate with words. It, it puts a premium on the ability to communicate with words, obviously, but you can do it. And you can link to things. You can be clever. You can be cute. You can be poignant. Uh, all these things are possible. I mean, we used to do it through written words, you know, articles, blog posts, whatever. And now we got more tools at our disposal. So it's, it's not only not impossible, it doesn't have to be negative. It can be extremely positive. Mm -hmm. We just need to be more creative and less fearful about them, I would argue. Mm. Well, we could talk about this topic for probably yeah. an hour. We could. But it's coming to the end. So I want to ask you a few last questions, which is, if I had leaders, CEOs, entrepreneurs, managers in my room right now, what's the one takeaway, the one thing you want them to know? Yeah, I've been asked that before and I've thought about it. And I think the one thing probably would be to do a better job of listening. And I mean a very specific thing. I don't mean listening for like collecting data or refining a hypothesis or anything like that. I mean, listening as in paying attention so that the other person feels heard. It's a form of respect. You know, it's just like a handshake. It's a form of respect, a ritual kind of, um, um, you know, uh, etiquette that we do. Well, listening to make to, so that somebody else feels, wow, they get me. They hear where I'm coming from. They were paying attention. I feel validated. I feel, you know, good. Uh, it is one of the more fundamental human needs is to be, you know, recognized by other people. Well, we do that paradoxically not by talking and appearing eloquent and smart, but by actually listening when they're talking and reacting in ways that show we're paying attention, we're showing respect. So listening in that sense is ultimately a form of paying respect to another person. And it's powerful because the natural effect of, of somebody paying you respect is to pay respect back to them, usually mm -hmm. by listening to you. So it works. So if you want to start, kick off a, a good relationship dialogue, do a better job of listening. That's the one mm -hmm. thing I point to. And would that fall into the, in the trust equation? Is that really under the intimacy? 
bucket? I think it's a combination of intimacy and low self-orientation. Listening means you got to be paying attention to the other person, which means you have to have a strong enough ego that you can afford to like put your own psychic well-being on hold and go pay attention to somebody else. But it's definitely about the intimacy. It is about making people feel secure that they can share with you and you're going to, you know, not treat them badly. You're going to you're going to be respectful of whatever they have to tell you. Yes, it is. Which means that cell phones need to stay out of meetings. <laughs> not easy to do, yeah. but it it's our worst evil. When... Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, that is fundamentally disrespectful when you say, excuse me a minute, I got to take a phone call. Whoever this rando person is calling me is more important than you sitting in a room with me right now. That's not a good message. No. And I think even we talk about professionally, but even as parents. Oh, yeah. I, I can't, I don't understand when your kids are with you, like nothing is more important than that valuable time. Right. Uh, that's another day, another show. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a good show. Yeah. Now, my last question. If you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell you that you didn't know, younger Charles? <laughs> Charlie, what would, you, what would you tell you? That one's easy. We touched on it before. I would tell myself with all the rigor and, and eloquence at my command, listen, get over yourself. Nobody else cares that much what you're all worried about. Get out of your head. Stop worrying that everybody's you know, perusing, scrutinizing your every thought and moment. They're not. They're all wrapped up in their own heads. Get over yourself. Go pay attention to somebody else. Make their lives better. It will redound very well for you anyway. And in the meantime, it'll make you stop worrying. So that's. I, I wish somebody had told me that at 20, although I probably wouldn't have been listening anyway if that were the case. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes back to the whole intimacy before before this. I would say one other thing that is somehow this is in the trust equation, but really be authentically happy for other people. Oh, it yeah. is it is easy to be there for people when there's sickness and death and sadness. It's harder to show up and celebrate people's good fortune and awards and I've, my mother used to say, if you can count on one hand, the number of true connections and friendships in a lifetime, you're lucky. Hmm. And it's true because most people don't ask, how's that thing you're studying and, and putting your heart and soul into that you got an award for? How's that going? Or how's, yeah. you know, your kid got some recognition Right. They they don't really ask. They because maybe because their kid didn't get it, <laughs> or maybe their team didn't get a recognition and someone else did. And so, I don't know. I just believe that you have to show up and be able to be there through the good times, not just the bad. Yeah, that's interesting. I totally agree with you. And I, you're right. We tend to focus on being there for the bad times. But in a funny way, I think I agree with you. I think you're right. That's easier. The harder ones are, you know, the successes or, or just the ongoing success even. And, and to remember to point out, you know, wow, look at what you're doing here. Look at what you did. That's, that's amazing. You know, right. not, not faking it, but uh, genuinely finding those positives. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's rare. And those are the people that, in my mind, really build trust and show caring. And yeah. I... 
I focus a lot on that. Even if my life isn't going well, I want to know your journey and I want to be on the journey and celebrate with you. So I, I encourage listeners to think about that too. Yeah, I think you're on something there. I agree. Well, where can people find you? I know they're going to want to, and I'm going to put all the links in the show notes, but what's the best way? The, the business is Trusted Advisor Associates. The website is trustedadvisor.com with an O-R, not an E-R, trustedadvisor.com. Email if anybody wants to reach out to me, cgreen at trustedadvisor.com and uh, Twitter at, at Charles H. Green. Well, thank you so much for being here and helping no, the world. Thank you. It's got to be a more trusting place. And we we have to bring, we do bring our whole self to work and home. We're the same people wherever we go. And so the things you talk about really apply to business and our personal lives. And so oh, thank totally. you. There's, there's really no separation. I mean, if you think about it, can you be trustworthy or authentic or whatever in your personal life and not in business? That doesn't make for very good business. Can you be trustworthy in business and not in your personal life? You're going to have a hell of an awful personal life if that's the case. Pretty much we are the same people we are throughout. And any disconnect is viewed as a negative and it shouldn't be there. So yeah, this stuff all applies to us throughout our life. Yes. So I know this episode and the more people that learn about you, you're changing lives. And thank you for that. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Stacey. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.